Today, we are sponsored by Provider Solutions and Development, a community of experts dedicated to offering holistic career coaching to physicians and clinicians throughout the entire job search. Start the conversation today at psdrecruit.com forward slash curbsiders. The Curbsiders have partnered with VCU Health Continuing Education to offer free continuing education credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals. Check out curbsiders.vcuhealth.org to create your free account and to start claiming CE credit. The Curbsiders podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly cash like moral hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're wrong. Well, Paul, we're back. And Stuart's here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're back. <laughs> the topic tonight is feedback. We have two wonderful guests who we're t- we will tell you about in a second. But first, Paul, what is it that we do on this on this great, great show that we're about to about to <laughs> unleash on the world? Uh, we're real proud of this one. We are. Thanks for asking. We are the Internal Medicine Podcast. We use expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge. Um, and what expert? interviews that we have today. We actually have two fantastic guests, two for the price of one. Both have been on the show before, and I'm here to tell you all about them now. Before I do um, just a little bit about what we're talking about, we're talking about feedback this episode. And so Dr. Abby Spencer and Dr. Leah Chisti give us real practical tips on how to approach feedback in a way that is constructive and um, from a place of advocacy as opposed to sort of a place of criticism and judgment. And I, I think it's a really helpful conversation um, that will certainly change the way that I provide feedback to uh to learners and then also to some of my peers, which we talked about. So Stuart, when we're all done here, I'm going to have probably some words <laughs> for you. Um, but it'll be coming from a place of love and advocacy because I care about you and I want you to do well. That's okay. I'll adapt. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. You probably should have saved that. Um, so let me tell you about our, our guest. So first we have the great Dr. Abby Spencer. She is a professor of medicine, woohoo, director of the internal medicine residency program and vice chair for education for the Medicine Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Spencer is part of the core curriculum team of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Excellence in Coaching and Mentoring and teaches advanced peer coach training courses, which is a mouthful. She delivers multiple faculty development, educational courses and workshops nationally, regionally and locally for medical educators. Dr. Spencer has held leadership positions in many national organizations, including SGIM education and annual planning committees, and is a founding faculty for SGIM's National Teach Certificate Program, which I can say personally is fantastic. In her free time, she loves to spend time with her family outdoors, at the theater, cheering on the Steelers, Pens, or Pitt Panthers. Um, we'll see if any of those things actually happen this year. She's also a huge fan of our next guest, Dr. Leah Chisti, and is proud and honored to be discussing effective feedback on the Curbsiders tonight. Um, this is in the words of Dr. Spencer. Dr. Chisti is currently the program director for the Internal Medicine Residency Program at the Penn State Health Milton S. Hershey Medical Center. She completed a residency at Yale and went on to pursue a general internal medicine fellowship at UCSF. She has particular interest and expertise in medical education and the role of mentorship in career development. She was recently promoted to associate professor of medicine and has made impressive contributions to medical education locally, regionally, and nationally. She is constantly impressed and inspired by Dr. Abby Spencer. They are big fans of each other. And Dr. Schisty says she feels privileged to be discussing the important topic with an amazing mentor and medical education powerhouse tonight. So already we're feeding back to each other. And isn't it nice? So... Guys, without further ado, let's get on to the show. Paul, you know who has to really understand feedback? I'm terrified to ask. 
endocrinologists. They have to understand both positive and negative feedback in every single axis. And I see my terror is justified. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, it is what it is. <laughs> Such a good energy, Paul. as good as it's going to get. That, that was, I mean, I feel good. I feel like we're high energy coming into it. And we're here with, speaking of high energy, we are here with <laughs> two of my absolute favorite high energy human beings. Uh, That's not the me. amazing Dr. Abby Spencer. Not you, Stuart. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're like top 20, probably, but I don't know that many people, to be fair. I'm, But we're here with the great Dr. Abby Spencer and the great Dr. Aliyah Chisti, um, both of whom should be well familiar to faithful fans of the show. If you're not familiar, I mean, you're not a fan then, and I'm not sure we want you here. Um, but <laughs> before we get too deep into the show, let's let's just refresh ourselves as to who these fantastic guests are. So why don't we start with Abby? Uh, Abby, if you could just give us a one-liner to describe yourself, and then we'll follow up and have Aaliyah do the same thing. Sure. My one-liner is a enthusiastic, innovative educator who wishes to support, develop, mentor, sponsor, and coach others to meet their greatest potential while seeing as many musicals as I can. <laughs> that sounds like a mission statement. Love it, Paul. Indeed. Paul, this is so contrary to several conversations we've had with with a couple guests recently, <laughs> where Paul just talked about how he hates musicals and refuses to ever watch Hamilton. Hates not fair <laughs> because he watched Cats in the theater, which I loved, but I just I can't. We're we're taking up the time of our, our special guest, okay, so we'll, we'll talk about my feelings about musicals later. Let's let's hear the great Dr. Leah Chisti's one liner about herself. <laughs> uh I'm a 38-year-old proud mom of young Pokemon lovers, wife of the best person I know, and lady meducator who feels <laughs> lucky uh, to have the best job that she you know, can imagine in the entire world and has single-handedly kept Starbucks alive through the COVID pandemic with her coffee use disorder. Really strong one-liners, Paul. Really strong. Yeah. No, this is – we got the A-team here. This is Kids promising. would love each other. I've got some Pokemon <laughs> lovers as well. <laughs> I think we should go right into Picks of the Week – Paul, do you want to show them how it's done, and then we'll go to our two esteemed guests? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I was going to actually go with the movie Whiplash, the 2014 Damien Chazelle film, as an example of, I, I, I think, spectacular feedback, but some might argue that um, it was not so great. But I actually, I changed my mind. I saw there's a movie. It's, not, it's barely even long enough to be called a movie. It's 56 minutes long. It's a Shutter exclusive, so you actually have to do the free trial, and then you can bag back out of it. But it's a horror movie called Host. Um, it's directed by Rob Savage. It is basically a haunted Zoom call, and it is, Ooh. I, you know, it's it's been kind of a done with it, with the movie, call. and yeah, so it's it's kind of been done with the movie Unfriended, but it does this really great job of capturing just how awful and banal Zoom can be, like down to someone being on the phone and their laptop at the same time, and you're kind of cringy and hating them, and then eventually they hold a seance via Zoom and sort of invite in accidentally this evil presence that kind of terrorizes them for the rest of the movie. So it is. Excellent. It's actually. It's fantastic. It's really well done. It's beautifully edited. It's actually one of the few scary horror movies I've seen in the past five years. So if you, if you like that genre, I will highly recommend the movie Host, uh, which is available on Shudder. And was that cued that the black cat walked behind you just <laughs> as you were talking about like, the terror and horror of a Zoom call? Yeah, there's probably another one floating around, too. Oh, my. As someone who records with him all the time, I can say that uh, th this podcast is doomed if black cats walking by are, are any bad, bad omen because it happens every time. Abby, why don't, why don't we ask you for a pick of the week and, and Aaliyah can think about hers for a second here. So yesterday I had the uh, the wonderful opportunity to watch Percy Jackson uh, with my children, which is a, a book series they had been reading, and I guess it's movies as well. 
And my plan was to sort of half nap and catch up on some emails and, and watch this with them. And yet I was really drawn to all of the Greek mythology and the sort of like very clever ways that they um, that these characters come to life and then really impressed even more so actually with my husband's very deep knowledge of Greek mythology and that he like he called the sirens in like two seconds and just things that were really impressive and so I um, I think I'm going with Percy Jackson all right week Aaliyah so I love the Percy Jackson series. Please judge me. It's okay. Um, I love all young adult fiction, which is also very embarrassing, but so true. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I, my pick of the week is going to be a musical. It's going to be The Hamilton on Disney Go. <laughs> I'm not familiar. <laughs> Uh, only because uh, it was like the first thing that my husband and I saw together uh, after a long time. And uh, we just wanted uh, our son, our second son is actually named Hamilton. Not actually surprisingly after the musical, but um, after Alexander Hamilton, because he was born on July 3rd and we were trying to be patriotic or something. So (laughs) um, Hamilton, because it reminds me of my son and um, it was a special time I spent with my husband. And it was actually really fantastic. I love that. So we woke up at 3 a.m. for the premiere, you know, on July <laughs> 3rd. Right. It came out at three at midnight California time. So we all set the set our alarms and at 3 a.m., even though you could watch it the next day at 10 a.m. too. We watched Did you it. tell me in a tweet or an email or was it a text that you like you're on your third viewing of it within 24 hours, something like that? I feel like <laughs> all I true. Yeah. All true. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for Stuart to follow this up with whatever he's going to follow this up with. Yeah, my pick of the week is a, a film called Her. It's a 2013 film written and d- directed by Spike Jones. Stars Joaquin Phoenix. It's a, it's a poignant story about a lonely, introverted, middle-aged man who falls in love with uh, his self-aware operating system. <laughs> I actually saw this movie. It was actually really I saw good. It, as well. <laughs> it is. It, it sounds really stupid, but it's actually a pretty good movie. I saw it as well. It it sounds oh, really? sounds very fitting. Okay, let's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Uh, we can cut that out nope that's absolutely (laughs) saying hey is a career change part of your strategy for the future well our sponsor provider solutions and development has a team of experts ready to guide you through today's physician job landscape with over 20 years of experience they are committed to finding you the right team the perfect setting and the work you are meant to do PSND's in-house recruiters are not focused on quotas and they do not work on commission. Whether this is your moment to shine, pivot directions, or discover something new, Provider Solutions and Development has access to hundreds of opportunities across the country. So reach out today at psdrecruit.com forward slash curbsiders. Stuart, would you read our first case of the evening? Uh, Let's get into this topic. This is a big topic. Feedback. Only if Paul can tell me what Sue M. Vale is about. It's it's the, the name in the first case. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> so I'm sure uh, our listener Sue... will email us and tell us it's some like long dead obscure reference. anarchist or something that Paul is. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. All right. So Sue M. Vale is a chief resident at her internal medicine residency program. Sue has decided to pursue a career as an academic internist and is hoping to hone her skills as an educator. She just finished up a four-week block of uh, inpatient medicine. She worked with two of her third-year medical students, Tony and Tina, 
and they are both hoping she will give them some excellent feedback before they move on to their next rotation. So before we get going, before we get uh, beyond this, uh, this, how do we how do we define or conceptualize just the idea of feedback in general, Abby? Sure. So there's a few definitions that I really like. Um, one of my favorites uh, belongs to Jack Ende from the 80s. He was one of the first to publish in the realm of feedback, and he defined it as information describing a learner's performance in a given activity that's intended to guide their future performance in that same or interrelated activity. And then a definition that came out a few years later that I also really like uh, because it has one special word in it that I'll share with you. It defines feedback as specific information about the comparison between a trainee's observed performance and a standard given with the intent to improve the trainee's performance. And what I really like about this definition is that it uses the word intent. Because I think when, as we go through uh, all of our cases and we talk about how to connect with learners or share more challenging feedback, the intent which we have and the intent which the receiver believes we have is really the ticket to deliver effective feedback or not. And so I really appreciate the uh, the use of the word intent actually in it and then reminds us that the intent uh, is to hit a target or goal that really belongs to that learner. So it's not our intent for what we want them to know. It really is the intent to reach the goal that the learner has set for his or herself. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I love uh, Dare to Lead and Brene Brown defines feedback as the pathway to mastery. And I really always appreciate that because uh, I think even when you're hearing really challenging feedback, if you can kind of call it in as the feedback, this is the pathway to mastery, you can hear anything. You're just, you know, bring it on. I'm, I'm strong enough to hear this because it's going to help me get better. I can share one other way that I, I learned from the book, Thanks um, Thanks for the Feedback, which I really liked, that talked about thinking about feedback as either appreciation, coaching, or evaluation. And knowing what the learner wants from us can actually make it a really, again, a big difference about if they're able to understand and to process the feedback. So if what they're looking for is appreciation, meaning that we notice them, we acknowledge them, we see how hard they work, and we tell, we give them coaching, which is how to get better, it's not going to land very well. Where if they're looking for evaluation, meaning, you know, did I pass? Did I get this? Am I doing okay? Someone might not be able to hear the feedback on what's coming next unless they know first, yes, you passed, you, you got this grade, you're doing okay. Now let me tell you how to get to that next step. Uh, and then sometimes if someone really just wants to know what can I do better and you're like, oh, that was great. You, you got it. You did what I expect. That doesn't help them at all. And so knowing both from our intent and what the learner wants, are they looking for appreciation, coaching or evaluation that can help us target and be most effective as well in our feedback. Now, you, you use the term mastery, and it usually takes around 10,000 hours to become a master at something. And so I, I know some of our listeners are probably thinking, man, how do I get better at giving feedback? So what are some of the common perceived barriers to providing that feedback? And how, how do we approach those, given the limited uh, training that we have? We, we don't have 10,000 hours training on feedback. Sure. So I think some of the most common barriers that people list are really time you know, there isn't time, I would have, but I didn't have time to do it, or this desire of wanting to be liked or being scared that they're going to hurt someone's feelings and not wanting to hurt their feelings. And so this is where I think the book Radical Candor is really, really helpful because it talks about how honest is kind and clear is kind and that giving someone untruths, there's nothing kind about that. And so if we're not giving people the guidance that they need to succeed at the job or the task that we're asking them to do, that's not kind and that's not 
what a good or, or, or you know a masterful teacher would do. And so I think it really comes from a place of caring that you can give people the feedback and find the time because you realize it is important enough to this person's growth and that caring is providing honest and direct feedback. And so there are a lot of barriers and we often do worry about feelings and that's why I think it's worthwhile to learn the skills to deliver effective feedback. I also love, though, that in Thanks for the Feedback, it talks about that someone else's inability to deliver feedback should not impede your ability to get and take in good feedback. And so I think that that's been really helpful for me. So if I hear someone giving feedback and my first impulse is either, oh, they're a jerk or, you know, they didn't do a very good job at that. They just made me feel bad. Then I think, well, why shouldn't I still get to learn from the feedback? And so someone being a jerk um, or having or not having the skill to deliver feedback really should not interfere with our ability to take in as much as we can to learn. Uh, and same with when we deliver feedback to our learners, if we really care enough about their feelings, we should care about their goals and their performance and be with that discomfort enough to, um, to give them the feedback that, that's going to help them grow. Uh, and I heard someone else say once that actually if we care more about being liked than giving feedback that's helpful, then that's more, um, that's more vanity than it is actually being a good teacher. So I have to say, I've actually, I've heard Aaliyah give feedback and she gives extraordinarily effective feedback that is direct and honest and yet never, never seems hurtful. I've never seen anyone take it sort of the wrong way. And I, I think I wanted to ask sort of a, along the lines of Stuart's question, is that part of it is just because you're just a nice person, I think. Um, I'm gonna, but, but also, how did you, how did you develop that skill, I guess? Is this deliberate practice? Is that, did you do sort of, did you do a lot of reading about it or is it just sort of inherent in your personality that you're just able to give feedback directly without actually hurting feelings? Thank you, Paul. That's really kind of you to say. Um, I I think it was uh, a combination of probably a little bit of everything. Um, I totally agree with what Dr. Spencer said about if you're truly kind, you really want the person in front of you to be able to be better. And I think the intent, just like Dr. Spencer said, is just the most important thing. And so it, I think if I can... Um, gain the learner's respect by showing them my inherent investment in their growth and learning and doing it through body language, doing it, doing it with the deliberate choice of words that I use, uh, that can be very, very helpful. And I've actually loved the, um, the thought that we compare our residents or our learners to standards, because I feel like if you compare it to a standard or a national standard or a national expectation, that's something that's easy. It's a framework to use, and that can be very um, powerful for the resident because it's not, or the person, because it's not about them. They're inherently not being judged as a person, but it's more about the behavior or the skills that they need to grow to be to that next step in that framework or skill. And so I think that can be really, really powerful. I would love to hear what Dr. Spencer also does, because I know that I've seen her give feedback and it's been amazing. <laughs> I absolutely agree with everything you said. And I, I do think that you're among the best feedback givers that I know. And I think that it's more than just a kind personality. I think it's deliberate attention to showing someone that we care and that we're invested. And, and I've seen you do that as well. And I think then the words that follow naturally are just heard differently. Someone that you don't trust could say the exact same thing, the exact same words as someone that you do. And the, the lens through which we see or hear those words are completely different, again, based on the intent that we ascribe to that person. And so, you know, if Dr. Kisti is giving me feedback, even if the content might be really hard to hear or hearing it from someone else might hurt my feelings, I imagine I couldn't possibly by, be hurt by what she's saying because I know it's coming from kindness and from wanting me 
to help me make uh, reach my goals. And so I think, again, that intent and that caring and connecting it to the values and the goals of the person who you're giving the feedback to, they're going to be hungry for it. You know, that concept of, you know, you've heard people say before, if someone's not hearing the feedback, you know, hit them between the eyes. And if you think about that, no one really likes to be hit between the eyes. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't. And yet, if you can get someone to pull that feedback in, you don't have to push as hard. They're pulling it out of you because they want it. And I think that's where some of the best educators can really deliver hard yet incredibly helpful feedback because the learners are pulling it in, you're connecting with their values, what they want, and they're hungry for this feedback because it, it helps them meet their goals. Paul and Stuart, do you remember we talked to Gurpreet Dhaliwal about, he was talking about having this positive, he gives a lot of compliments. So that way, when he has to give feedback, he has this positive balance in their bank account. <laughs> and, and just, so I imagine if you're working with learners, you should just try to give praise when you can. So that way, and you're probably the whole time you're, you're setting things up like doing a procedure or something from the start, you're setting it up that there's going to be feedback along the way. And from day one, they know that you're caring about well, them. And, and, and just like talking to our patients, when we're asking them questions, difficult questions about things like bad habits, like alcohol usage, tobacco, things like that. I, I find it's very important. Now I have teenage daughters and I was not raised with sisters, but uh, providing the space to say, you know, I fail too. you know, I, I make mistakes. And it's okay to make mistakes. What's not okay is to ignore those mistakes. And we as physicians have to have the humility to embrace those mistakes, because the way that we try that we find a path to true strength is to understand that we're not perfect. And so I think that that differentiates the two different kinds kinds of learners that you have those who seek to grow and get better, and those who seek to do the best. And because those are that's those are two diametrically opposed individuals. I love that, Stuart. That reminds me of that quote about it's not about being right, it's about getting it right. And I think if you are focused on getting it right and not being right, so much more can come from it. But, you know, so, some of our listeners are probably thinking the kinds of individuals that we recruit in the medical school are the ones who want to be right, right? Because they've always been overachievers. They've always wanted to, you know, get the highest grade, attain the highest. And I think the thing that I find the most difficult as an attending is identifying how to get them from that mindset into it's okay to fail when they have tried all of their life up until this point to not fail, or at least to get rid of the perception that they are failing or struggling because they have to go through all of these interviews to get in the, uh, into residency, into medical school. And because we, we've tried to paint this picture on the outside that you have to be essentially uh, perfect in order to get into the, these, these different things. And that's difficult because you have to reinvent that mind frame or that mindset. How how do you do it? Do you do that with formative feedback, summative feedback? I mean, how, how do we do that? Well, let's, yeah, let's define those terms. We have some cases. I think it's going to be good to work through cases on this. And I, let's get let's get a little bit more of our terms out of the way. Aaliyah, formative and summative feedback that Stuart just mentioned, can you define those for us and for the audience? Sure. The way I like to think about it is that formative feedback is going to be something that's ongoing, that is going to be kind of more informal, maybe, that goes on throughout, let's say, a rotation or a time that you're working with someone, where it'll help that person to to hopefully, at the end of it, know that it's for the growth of that person throughout the course of the, the rotation or whatever time frame that you're working with them. Whereas summative feedback, I think of more as at the end, either at the end of a rotation, at the end of a uh, 
you know, like a clerkship or at the end, uh, or like, you know, on GME, we have our CCC meetings, our clinical competency committee meetings. So like the formal feedback of the summary of all of the different um, kind of evaluations they've had along the way. And how, so it feels a little bit more evaluative in the summative feedback than the formative feedback, which I think is a lot easier to digest. I think both obviously have the intent of helping the learner grow, but I think that they have very different perceptions on the receiving end. We talked a little bit about this, but the for for Sue, our Sue M. Vale, which hopefully someone will tell us what that name means. Thank you, Paul. Uh, yeah. We she she wants to give feedback to these two medical students, and she's a bit in, inexperienced at this, but she's planning on going to a career in education. What's important, Aaliyah, about the environment? Like, where should she plan to do this, and how should she set herself up for success? Sure. So there are a couple of things that I, I uh, try to encourage uh, people who are learning to give feedback how to do it well. And one of them is setting the stage. So telling them right from the beginning that there are going to be times that you're going to be giving them feedback and ensuring that you are um, that you actually follow through and give them feedback. Um, the second thing is definitely find a private space because you may actually want to give some direct feedback or some formative feedback where they're going to actually be, um, they, they'll hear that they might be difficult for them to hear. And so you'd want to make sure that the space is private, that you have time set aside so that you're not in a rush, like I have to be in a Zoom meeting in 10 minutes, so let's do this feedback session. Let's ensure that you have enough time, that it's in private, and that you've kind of set the stage ahead of time, that they're going to be expecting some feedback. And um, this is a little bit off topic, but I do want to also mention that it's it's um, one of the other barriers I hear about giving feedback is that not only is there not a lot of time, but that attendings now are on for shorter periods of time with learners. So they're only on for a week. And so that can be really challenging, especially if we're trying to do like mid and end rotation feedback, you'd be doing like your on service Monday, Wednesday is mid rotation. <laughs> and then like, you know, depending on all when your learners are in, in on your team because of days off and etc, you may be giving feedback Friday through Sunday. <laughs> and so having um insufficient time really to make a lot of change can be very challenging. And so sometimes we might default to get, you know, observing our learners for a week and then giving them feedback. But then that doesn't give us an opportunity to see them actually grow and respond to that feedback. And so it's really challenging from a time perspective. And so when that's the case, I really love the idea that Dr. Spencer had about trying to assess some goals ahead of time from our learners, because that can help us um, tailor some of the learning during that week and also some of the feedback that we may want to deliver around that learning goal for the learner so that it's kind of something that they can expect me along the way, but then also something that they'll expect to hear about at the end of the rotation, that which might be really short. I found an educational sign out to the other attending or telling the students even like, hey, we talked about this. I'm going to check in with the other attending. And I've even co-wrote evaluations or co-wrote letters of um, recommendation in this time where you just only have a week with somebody. It's it's hard to to really get a great sense and, and to sound like you know them with enough examples. Matt, you and, you and Stuart talked about maybe doing an attending handoff. Um, I guess I wanted to ask our experts, and I guess starting with Aaliyah, with those, do you run the risk of actually biasing the next evaluator, or is are you actually doing the learner a favor, or does it does it depend? So those will be your options. 
So I'm going to say it depends. <laughs> um, I think it's really important if you are actually trying to help the person grow to be able to give some type of educational handoff because then you can know that there's something to to that the person is maybe actively working on. I also struggle a little bit, especially with struggling learners, about whether or not to uh, to give an educational handoff or to allow the 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 attending to make their own assessment of the learner. I've really struggled a lot because I don't want to necessarily bias someone, but then I also want to make sure that that person is growing. And so I actually was just recently struggling with this myself. Uh, some attendings want the handoff because then it helps them to target their teaching or their uh, you know, observations and feedback. But then I, I found that some attendings also really prefer not knowing so that they can make their own assessments. I'd actually like to hear Abby's take on this as well. Sure. So a few things. So first, I, I agree so much with what you were saying, Alia, around when you set the expectations up front and ask learners about what they want feedback on, it can really help set the stage. So whether you're the attending on the team, the resident, senior resident to your interns, the interns to your medical students, starting up front with what do you want feedback on? What would you like me to give you feedback on? What would you like the team to give you feedback on? And then take notes on it. And then as soon as you give them feedback on what they specifically want, they're going to then start coming back to you and wanting feedback on other things when they realize how helpful it was. So if you give them exactly what they want and you do it well early, it really sets the stage. I think then if you then carry that out to the educational handoff and they say, what I would really like feedback on is how I come up with a management plan or how I have a difficult conversation. The same way when, you know, you go to the evidence with a patient scenario and you're talking with the resident that you're precepting or you're the senior and you're talking to the intern and the evidence says you could do one thing or the other, the answer is always, well, then go and discuss with the patient. I think the same thing can be go and discuss with the learner. And so to say, you told me you wanted feedback on coming up with a management plan. I've seen three admissions. Here's where I thought you did well. You know, here are the points I would have for you. What are your, th your thoughts on me when I sign off to Dr. Williams, who takes over next week? Uh, we'll call him Paul for this. Um, what are your thoughts on me telling him, you know, that these were, this is what I observed and letting him know that this is what you'd like, like feedback on too. And here's how I think you've already improved. And then you can kind of get the sense. Are they like, oh yeah, absolutely. I really want as much feedback or if they're more nervous about it. And so sometimes that can help with the decision-making too. I don't know that there is a right or wrong answer with the educational handoff. I think it can be really helpful to, you know, a new attending coming on or a new resident coming on to know kind of what, what to look for and how to be helpful. I also think that that's where trainees can get labels and labels can get sticky. And so I trust the educational handoff a little bit more if it's someone that you know will also kind of take it, file it, and then also have their own assessment versus if it's someone that's just going to kind of take it and apply that label. Then I think, again, back to that word intent, we haven't necessarily helped that student, intern, or resident if the intent is a warning as opposed to here's what to watch for, here's how hard they're working. So again, back to that, is it coaching, is it appreciation, or is it evaluation? the next person might be able to give some appreciation if you give that handoff, especially if they know how long they've already been working on it. If the intent, though, is more of a warning to the next person, then I think it's it's hurting the learner and, and likely not as good an idea. You know, I heard something about this on a Curbsiders episode number 193, The Struggling Learner. 
essentially, <laughs> uh, so this, so actually after this episode, I put this into my um, how to to give feedback to junior attendings that when you're giving a handoff from a previous attending, you want to focus on steps necessary to move forward, avoiding framing the learner as the problem him or herself. And so whatever the, the next steps are to move forward and not focusing on the steps to move backwards. So because we, we tend to focus on negatives. And I think that, that that helps to frame that in such a way that you're not necessarily going to use that to hamper the progress moving forward. I think we should get into the ADAPT framework, and then we can run through some case examples. And I, I know I still have a lot of questions uh, about some specific feedback things that have come up throughout the course of my career that I found real challenging. Abby, can you tell us about this ADAPT framework, which I know has become pretty popular? Yeah, so I really like the ADAPT model. I think that it's easier to use when you're giving more formal sit-down feedback. So for those who are listening and looking for ways to kind of fit feedback into, you know, end of a clinic session or between patients while rounding, that's probably not the time to sit down with the ADAPT model. You know, this is going to be more your mid-rotation or end of rotation Or again, if you're a senior um, advisor of interns or a faculty advisor, you're looking at evaluations with a learner and it's, you have a little bit more time and a little bit more data. These aren't your nuggets of uh, formative feedback for learning. You know, this is probably a little bit more uh, in the evaluative, Um, but it stands for ask, discuss, ask again, and then plan together. So the first round of asking people may be very familiar with from the ask, tell, ask model, which kind of preceded this one, where you're starting out with, you know, very open-ended questions. How do you think that went? How did that go? What's going well? What are you trying to work on? What did or didn't go as you hoped? Uh, What's your goal? How did you meet it or not meet it? So it's a lot of open-ended questions. If you're looking at, you know, evaluations or they just got feedback from somebody else, you might say, you know, were there any surprises, any patterns here that you recognize, anything that you hadn't heard before, et cetera. So that's your asking. Then your the the hard work is actually about to start because then they're going to tell you and you actually have to listen and really listen deeply, you know, put on your level five big listening ears to how they think it went. Um, you know, what what are they saying? What are they not saying? When are they twisting their hands? you can get a lot from their answers around where they're, where they feel really proud and you want to recognize where they feel proud, where they recognize growth, where they feel vulnerable or unsure. And so that might be an area where you want to give reassurance. And so the listening part is even more uh, important than the asking part. Then kind of once you have that information um, is when you are, um, you know, you, um, you're starting to ask again. And so you don't want to necessarily um say what you were going to say at the beginning. You can't go ahead of time and write out what you're asked and then you're next, and then you're discussing, then you're asking again, because it's really going to come from what you heard um, after you asked the first time. So now you're discussing, you know, tell me more about that. When, when did you feel at your, at your best? When did you feel disappointed? What were things that you wish went better? Um, and then you're sharing what you thought, you know, I was really impressed with this, given that I know how important that is to you. I wonder if next time you might try this, given that you told me that this was a goal and it seemed like when you said this, the patient responded that way. So you're really giving a lot of specifics and you're, you're narrowing whether you're, you know, this isn't a sandwich, you're not giving a negative, a positive, a negative. You're really just sharing 
based on what you heard. And there may be some things that you left unsaid. There may be some things that you keep in your back pocket based on what you heard during that listening part. Um, so that's the discussing. And then you're asking again after the discussion, you know, what resonated with you? How did that land on you? Um, anything I said that doesn't make sense to you? Are there any patterns? Has anyone given you this feedback before? If you're seeing shock and horror and a tear in their eye, you know, you look really surprised. Tell me about that. You know, where's that coming from? And then, you know, and then asking again, so what should we do with this? You know, what stood out to you? Where do you want to go from here? How can I be helpful to you? Who else could be helpful? So it really is a partnership. And you're really setting up the learner to kind of be in the driver's seat and be in charge. So if you think back to that pushing and hitting between the eyes versus them pulling it in, once they're, they know, well, I'm going to pick to work on this because this is what's meaningful to me. Awesome. Let's go with that. How do you want to do it? And people are a lot more likely to follow a plan that they came up with than one that someone else did, right? And residents and interns know that, right? No one wants to follow someone else's plan. You know, that's micromanaging. They don't just want to put in the orders that someone told them to. They want to come up with their own plan. And feedback really is the same way. People want to come up with their own plan. And so when you give them the data to do that and really encourage them and think through and, and what would that look like? And how would you know if it were that? And how would other people know? What would people be seeing if you were doing it this way now? You can start to ask these probing questions where they can really start to visualize the success or visualize the win. Uh, so I really like the ADAPT model because I think it takes you through the process. It reminds you how important it is to really listen and hear, listen for the strengths of the learners, listen for their vulnerabilities. And then that plan together is so much nicer than tell um, and discuss is so much nicer than tell as well. And so right. it really is a partnership and it's kind of you and that learner versus the challenge versus you versus the learner. So even how you sit, are you sitting next to them? I mean, all of those things to really say, we are looking at this together, I think is going to bring that pulling uh, in pretty significantly. This feels a little bit like a spiritual cousin to motivational interviewing, which speaks to my heart. Like it feels like you're asking the learners to sort of identify their barriers, what's motivating them, and then working with them towards a common goal that they've kind of identified. So it's, this, this feels a lot like primary care, which is actually kind of relatable to me, which I've never really thought about it before. Absolutely. And I, I think that's why you've got two primary care docs here, uh, you know, discussing with you because motivational interviewing, coaching, adapt model, it really is all about connecting, you know, with the learner, with the patient, whoever it is to find out what's important to them and help them get there. So you're exactly right. Uh, we're, we're getting a little dog in the background for the audience. We're going to press, press on. Uh, Paul, do you want to take us through the next part of the case? Yeah, sure. So we're back with Sue. She's, is it Tina and Tony? It is. She's, so she's working on the feedback that she's going to give to Tina and Tony, two names I'm very proud of. <laughs> um, she, all very mysterious. When you guys figure out the hidden meaning, it's going to blow your minds. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, she takes notes on what she might say. This is Sue now, is taking notes on what she's going to say to her young wards. And she, she notes that she would describe Tony as being confident and he's always taking initiative. And then she's writing down that Tina seems warm and compassionate. She comments that Tina has excellent rapport with her patients. Um, and as she's reflecting, preparing, and thinking about the feedback she's about to give, she starts to wonder if her feedback might be gendered. Um, so, Aaliyah, I'm wondering if you could tell me how feedback can potentially sometimes reflect unconscious bias. And So, easy question. How can feedback <laughs> reflect unconscious bias, and how can we protect against that? Well done, Paul. <laughs> I love the case. <laughs> um, I think I mean, the case obviously hits the nail on the head in that whether we try to or not, sometimes the words that we use to describe our learners definitely have a gender-based uh, sway, I guess, or uh, there's just 
again, uh, implicit bias in some of the the words that we choose, especially when it comes to the way that we describe our learners. Uh, There's like a lot of literature out there, both in undergraduate medical education and graduate medical education that points to this. So uh, I just think that, again, um, it's, there's actually a couple of different uh, interesting papers <laughs> that reference different types of, of gender bias that we might use and some of the language that we might use. Um, so I love that you pointed out that uh, for our, for Tony, that what were the words that you said? C- competent and knowledgeable or? Confident and he's always taking initiative. Confident and taking initiative. Um, So (laughs) I think that that's really interesting. So there was a really uh, great paper that came out of the emergency medicine literature initially that showed that actually in emergency medicine, when they surveyed their educators, that they like to use certain descriptors of what they think a competent EM physician would be able to to be. And one of them is like confident, can make decisions on their own, you know, (laughs) autonomous. And... um, those often are attributed as quote unquote male kind of agentic characteristics. And so I think, and it, what they've seen is that those are words also that are often described in terms of the male kind of residents or learners that they're seeing. And then for women residents that there can be actually a discrepancy. So if there are women who actually have some of these um, behaviors, like they might be perceived as confident um, that then they could have very discrepant remarks, discrepant evaluations where some people are like, oh, you know, really autonomous and can make decisions, go get her. And then on the other side, that there can be this perception that really take, you know, has difficulty accepting feedback, can't accept other people's, you know, ideas of the plan. And so we think that, again, this perception that uh, maybe a woman, again, I don't agree with this, but in the literature, they've shown that women may be described more in communal terms. And so those communal characteristics would be like um, some of the the comments that you mentioned in the way that you described uh, Tina in the case. I think there is truth in a lot of data around women are often described by personality traits and men by competency. So regardless of what those personality traits are or what the competencies are, I think the example in the case is a perfect example of, you know, what could get written in a core clerkship and end up in a letter of rec or when we write letters of rec and you can read it and without seeing name or gender, know this is about a woman, this is about a man. So I think when giving feedback, there really is kind of part A is don't folk like have someone else read it and try to tell you if you're writing about a man or a woman because there absolutely is data and we see it all the time as PDs and APDs or clerkship directors that women are described by personality traits even if they're wonderful personality traits and men by their competency. Then I think there's the issue of the double bind which is women have to either be successful or likable are seen as competent or likable and not both. And so are they seen as competent and then maybe they're not a team player or they're this or they're that, or they're seen as likable and less competent, which I think is the sort of the sexism. And then I think there's professionalism where how do you give feedback to the person that has no insight, regardless of if it's gendered. And then I think that has its own set of solutions that I'm happy to talk about. So those are sort of the three ways I break that up. Abby, I wanted to ask you in a couple of the programs, I've worked for multiple different places at this point, and it seems like in each place, there's certain residents or trainees, um, gender nonspecific, that people are almost like afraid to give feedback to and have or have tried and have it has not gone well. So when 
how do you handle it when someone doesn't have insight, especially if it's like an interpersonal communication thing, which I think is really hard because if they don't believe in it, it, it makes it a really challenging thing. So great question. I think that's one of the hardest areas to give feedback on. You know, we talked about, again, back to that pull versus push when someone will not pull and you just start pushing harder and harder to get that feedback across, you know, and go between the eyes. That's likely when they will push harder and harder to defend um, what they started saying, whether they believe it or not anymore. You know, that that preservation of self is very, very powerful. It's, it's how we're still here, you know, on, on earth or in the world. And so I think when you sort of note like that their defense is getting stronger and stronger, that's a, an indication to, to try a different way. And so sometimes we get to insight through patient stories. Sometimes we can get to insight by going back to what are they really interested in? What are they value? You know, is this someone who, you know, really wants to do cardiology and they hate being on their primary care of road or do they love geriatrics and they hate being in the ICU or whatever it is. And when you can really get to what they want and what's meaningful to them, to me, the magic word, which I think grants entry into the absence of insight is the word perception. I know how bright you are. I know how much you care. And yet there's this perception among your peers, among the nurses, among the interns, among the faculty, that X, Y, or Z. It's really hard to argue against a perception because there's not a, no, I didn't. Yes, I did. Yes, I can. They were wrong. They're all wrong. So you could say, okay, let's play this out. Maybe every single person is wrong. You're the only one that's right. Everyone else is wrong. They are out to get you. They do have this, um, you know, you are under a microscope. Everything you're saying is true. Let's, let's play this out. And yet, I know that you want this fellowship in X, Y, or Z. And my concern is when they call me and they ask me or they call this person and say, tell me about so-or-so, what is it you want them to say? How do you want the nurses to describe working with you? How do you want your interns to describe how you are as a senior? How do you want patients to describe what it's like to work with you? Because my concern for you is that you're not going to get to goal if the perception is X. So let's put down whether it's true or not, right or wrong, and talk about how we can change this perception. Brilliant. So now we're, we're planning. Now we're standing with them. We're planning together how we're going to do this. That's great. Thank you. I love that Abby really tied it to the thing that's probably most important to them professionally. So like, I know how big of a motivator getting into fellowship can be. And so having that really being like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, it's not about anything else anymore. It's about like, I have to get to this goal. And how do we make sure that everything is going to be working towards that goal? Um, so I thought that that was that's super powerful when we're trying to deliver especially important feedback that may that someone might have difficulty wrapping their their mind around. Um if you don't mind, I just wanted to say also that when I was at Temple, um, I did worked a lot with remediation and a, a resource that I found was that was very helpful in helping some of my residents that might have trouble with some professionalism concerns or maybe had some um, was actually working with the HR department there. And so HR has a lot of resources and they have wonderful people who are highly skilled and highly trained in helping people um, gain some of the skills that we as educators, is we're medical educators, but we're not experts in this field. And so sometimes they actually can spend the time to do a lot of the self um, the self um, assessments and the 360 evaluations that might be 
important for their own self-discovery. And it's really nice because it's some completely someone completely safe for them, right. that they're totally outside of the residency program or they're totally outside of any type of assessment uh, assessment person. And so it's like having your own personal professional coach. It's amazing. That <laughs> so is amazing. It can be a huge resource if your, um, if your institution's HR department can partner with you in helping with a lot of the, with some resident concerns. I love that. And I think that's a great reminder that also if someone is not, uh, you know, hearing the feedback or there does seem like a lot of pushback or lack of insight, going back to our differential diagnosis, you know, we keep tying this back to primary care. Is there drugs, divorce, distraction, disease, you know, going back to the D's and being curious around what's going on with this person, especially if this is unusual for them. And so sometimes there really is a true professionalism issue and they need HR and they need coaching and all of this. And sometimes they are doing everything they can to just get through the day and hearing anything other than I appreciate how hard you're working. Thank you for coming in today and, you know, straightening your tie or brushing your hair or whatever it is, that is literally like the best they can get to. And so going back to, you know, empathy, curiosity, what's the differential is a critical critical first step um, before you can even get to these others. Because if one of those Ds is present, then, you know, how they're doing um, their review of systems is just not what they need to hear from you right now. You know, they need a hug. Before we leave this part of the case, uh, we talked about gendered feedback. One of the other things that could be a concern when giving feedback is how how might race impact the feedback that is given? Aaliyah, can you, can you tell us a little bit about how we should take that into consideration? Sure. Uh, I think this is a really, really important topic. Um, just like what we were talking about with gender, um, I think what they've seen in some of the studies is that people who are underrepresented in medicine, that they could also be described either more with their personality, according to personality traits, rather than, again, skill or competency. And actually, um, there, there was a great study that was published by some of the people at UCSF um, that looked at uh, narrative language and evaluations for um, medical students by gender and by uh, race or ethnicity, so underrepresented minority status. And they actually found that in most cases that for URM students, that what they found was that competent was the most commonly used term, which oh. actually in evaluations can be actually negatively perceived in letters of recommendation and things like that. And that they were also more described by their, again, personality traits instead of um, words like that are perceived as like scientific or skill-based uh, words. So I think that that's really, again, really challenging and something that we as educators need to be very cognizant of as we're, we're framing our evaluations for our um, students and residents who are of underrepresented. Background. Yeah, I will. I will echo that. And I've even heard, you know, stories of residents coming to share, you know, that someone, a, a resident of color, might be told, you know, you're so articulate, and it's it's taken in a way or it's said in a way that does not feel. It's almost suggesting that they're surprised that they are. And so I think that there's a lot of, you know, I think competent is the same way because what someone is hearing or the implication is you're actually competent or you're actually articulate, which I think is deeply biased, offensive, and you know, borderline macro aggression, if not microaggression. And so being very careful about that. And then also with verbal feedback, I've had residents say that in trying to connect with um, residents underrepresented in medicine, someone might say, oh, you know, girlfriend or brother or sister in a way that didn't feel right and didn't feel comfortable. And that can be then, you know, from there, 
when trust is lost, anything that comes out next, no matter what the skill of the feedback giver, is going to be really hard to hear. You feel judged, you feel unseen. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's the last thing, you know, again, back to that intent, we want our learners to be seen, heard, felt, cared about. And when we you know, offend them off the bat um, with some term, um, you know, that doesn't feel right to them, I, th I think we've lost it. And, and then we can be open to that feedback. And we can notice again, if we've got the skills to say, oh, my gosh, you know, I clearly just said something terrible, tell me more, is how we can learn. But if we pretend it didn't happen, or we didn't do it or run away and never give feedback again, uh, we're, we're both, you know, worse off because of it. Abby, didn't you give uh, a talk at SGIM 2019 on letters of recommendation and terms? Am I making this up? And is that you something, can, do we, was there a handout for that? Maybe we can, or, or maybe we can incorporate in the show notes, some of these gendered feedback things to avoid or, or to, things, things that we should do, things that we shouldn't do. I can't remember exactly, but I think you sent it to me in the past. Yes, I can send it again. It's a, it's a great handout about words to use or not use um, that, that really goes back to the fundamental of don't describe men only by their competencies and women only by their personality. It's great to have an empathic man and it's great to have a, you know, a, a highly, you know, motivated, brilliant leader as a woman. And so I think it's okay to use both words for both. You don't want to ex exclusively do one versus the other. And then how do we check ourselves, have someone read it and say, can you tell if I'm talking about a male or a female? I love it. And if they can, then. That's such a great um, piece of advice. All right, Stuart, let's, yeah. let's get on to the next. Uh, I think we have like a couple parts of the case left. Stuart, you want to read? Yeah. Absolutely. Sue would like to give feedback to the house staff and her team. Her resident, Esmeralda, is a PGY3. Sue and Esmeralda, they were both friends in residency. Being in the same cohort, they hung out together and attended many social events, appropriately socially distanced these days, together. <laughs> Unfortunately, Esmeralda, well, she's been checked out and focused more on her future fellowship. She hasn't been following up on a lot of her interns' work and hasn't really paid much attention to the students. She seems to have made some questionable clinical decisions, nothing too catastrophic, but also not at the level that might be expected of her. So Abby, you can see here that peer feedback can pose certain challenges. Sue would like to provide the feedback to Esmeralda, but doesn't want to jeopardize that relationship. So how do we navigate these difficult waters? So great question. I think this can be really challenging for uh, for residents and uh, interns who are friends, co-residents, and even uh, chief residents, you know, who may have a close friend uh, in the residency and, and junior faculty as well. So I think it's a, it's a great case. And I think, again, it goes back to a lot of the things that we've talked about. So number one, what's important to them? What are their values? What are their goals? And going back to the differential we just talked about with the Ds, is something else going on with Esmeralda? So is she exhausted? Is she so stressed over fellowship? Is something going on at home? Is there a significant other who's not doing well, a parent? So just sort of a check-in before you even start with, oh my God, I can't believe you you know, left your intern there. If we come from curiosity and not from judgment, it's amazing um, how our whole approach is different. And someone can sense that. If we comment someone with judgment, even if our words are curious, but our heart is judging, that's going to come across. But if we can come to our good friend, you know, and, and, and we're almost lucky that this is a friend. So we can come from a place of love. It's easy to get to. This is our friend. We care. We're coming from curiosity. You kind of want to know what's going on. 
if there really is nothing else there and it's just a, you know, a senioritis or they're kind of checked out, then I think, again, that's where you go back to their values and you, you know, maybe you give that warning shot. I don't, I don't remember if we talked about yet in setting the stage for feedback, but sometimes that warning shot, whether you use the F word and invite, you know, may I give you some feedback or can I give you some feedback or, you know, here's a tip or a next time try. Um, so you might say to your friend, you know, hey, I know how important it is to you, you know, to be a great teacher. And I know that, you know, when you were a teacher of the month last year, it meant so much to you. And so I want to give you some feedback that might be hard to hear. Can I, can I do that? You get your answer either, you know, no, no, it's not a good time. I just hung up with my so-and-so and, and so you can get, or they might say, yeah, you know, let's go sit down privately and do this. And you might just, again, say to them, you know, this is hard for me to say. I know it will be hard for you to hear. I wouldn't be your, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a good friend if I didn't share this with you. There's a perception that you're leaving your intern there to hang. There's a perception that, again, back to that magic word perception, you know, that you're not getting things done. And I know how committed you are to patients. And I know this is never how you would want people to see you. You know, what's going on? How can I help? Is, some, is something up? And so I think if it comes from starting with, a, I know how much you care. I know that you really value the, in, the relationship with your interns. I know it's important to you to be seen this way. Something's different here. And, you know, you might get mad at me, but I care too much about you to, to not share this with you. And if this were me, I would want you to tell me. And sometimes those are the words that can kind of connect and, and they might get mad. And sometimes we do hear feedback and our immediate response is, is being defensive. But then we go later and we think about it. We talk about it with others and we come back and we say thank you. Um, and sometimes we may never get that thank you. But the point of giving really meaningful feedback is not to be thanked. It's to help the other person get to goal. And so again, if this person's performance and reputation and achievement is truly important to us, then we are willing to be uncomfortable and say, I value you too much to not share this with you just because you might get upset with me. So that those are a few different ways you might you might tackle it. What do you think, Alia? I, I mean, I agree with you, Abby. I think it's just it is really challenging and especially for chief residents. I know that they struggle a lot with when they become chiefs because, and I see Paul shaking his head, like nodding along that um, because they've been friends with the PGY3s in particular, that when they take that role, it can be incredibly challenging to be the person calling people in or the person who has to give difficult feedback on a rotation. And sometimes the their, res, their resident friends, whether they mean to or not, think that there's a different, um, they don't think about that power differential the same way. So they may feel like, oh, this is just my friend and we're kind of on service together instead of being like, oh, this is my attending. And so we think there's a lot of challenges in this case that really get highlighted um, when it's when it comes to this really challenging, um, I guess, piece where you're trying to give uh, feedback that can be difficult or perceived to be difficult by by the learner. So I, I agree. I think it's tough all around. But again, putting it back to because I care about you and what's going on. This is not who I remember or who I worked with last year or um, can be really powerful for helping that person see that maybe they're there just to find out what's again, what's going on with that person. That's, that's really helpful. And I actually, I, it did not occur to me to sort of leverage the friendship as a benefit in that scenario. Cause it sounds like, you know, oftentimes you feel like the friendship being a barrier and would our friendship be jeopardized. But if it's, you're using it as I'm coming from a place of caring about you, that actually seems like a strength. So that's, that's great advice. Um, so, Sue's fantastic. We love Sue. Sue, you'll recall, is our, our, our chief resident. She's dedicated to self-improvement. She'd like to be regarded as an effective educator. She's hoping for concrete feedback from her students and, and from Esmeralda. Um, just when you guys figure out the name, just, <laughs> just wait. 
Um, however, when she when she seeks this feedback, her learners tell her how quote nice she is and how she never makes them feel stupid. They talk about how fun the rotation is um, and how much they learned. And Sue leaves the feedback discussion without any real concrete plans or sort of any any guidance as to how she could actually improve uh, herself as an educator. So. Coming from as as a power differential on the other side of it, where you're someone actually seeking feedback from your learners, what can we do to ensure that the feedback that we receive as educators is actually actionable and effective? And why don't we start with uh, Aaliyah, and then I'd actually like to hear the Abby answer the question as well. Now, as a program director, when I give when I ask for feedback, I I always worry that people are not going to give me real feedback, and so I always list three or four things that I did wrong or could have done better <laughs> to help them. So my rounds ran long. Yeah. Entry. Yes, it ran long, Dr. <laughs> Gisty. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> or, right. you know, I, I felt like I could have handled that situation in a different way. Oh, yeah, you know, maybe. So I try to open it up. And I always say that I'm always looking for feedback. And I have a list of things that I'm working on. And, you know, I'm not always on my game and I'm always trying to be better. So please try and um, please try and help me because that's, I just always want to be better. Or I say, I'm lucky enough to be new at my institution still. I mean, it's been a year, but I still say, you know, I'm relatively new. I'm still learning a lot of the things about the Penn State culture. So please help me understand what I could have done differently or better so I could, you know, function more effectively as an attending at this institution. <laughs> and I, I hope that that, um, gives them a chance to to either agree with some of the, the areas that I've suggested for improvement or present some other ways that I could improve. Um, but I do worry a lot that because I'm the program director that they may not feel 100% comfortable giving me truly uh, honest feedback. So thank you for that. I, I guess maybe I'll ask Abby, do you think is it helpful to lead with the things that you've been working on much in the same way that you'd sort of work with learners to figure out what they're trying to improve? So sometimes when I'm just trying to get the very specific feedback, I'll be like, what can I do better? And just so you know, I've been working on more concrete management plans or trying to get end rounds on time. Like, is that an effective way to seek feedback or is there a better way to do it? I love that. I think that the same way we ask learners at the beginning of, you know, going on service with them or at the beginning of a clinic day, what do you want feedback on? I may start with, I would like feedback on my feedback or, you know, I really want to get better at giving feedback every day. You know, let me know if I don't and please let me know if it if it's useful and you you know what to do after, you know, we have our feedback discussions. Or I might say, I've gotten feedback from residents before that X, you know, I'd love for you to watch that and let me know how I'm doing. Um, I'll frequently, you know, pretty much always ask my seniors, you know, it's really important for me that you feel like you're making decisions and, they, and that you're running the, the show here. And yet I don't want you to ever feel like I don't have your back or I'm not here for you. You know, please let me know if I'm too far in either direction, if you need me to either like take a few steps back or if you actually are like, you know what, I could use a little help over here, um, you know, make them laugh a little bit. So I think, again, whether it's what we're working on, what we've heard before, uh, another thing I, I love to ask is, um, if I know them really well and I know either who their significant other is or who their best friend is, I'll use the name. And if not, I might say, you know, your best friend in the world is coming on service tomorrow. What could I do to make this even better for them than I did for you? What could I do? You know, this is not about you. This is not about last week or the week before. This is about this person is more important to you than anyone else. What are the things that, you know, I should keep doing, stop doing, or do differently? And I'll, and I'll make them give me one of each. Wait out the silence. Um, and again, when you, when you show appreciation and if you're like, so what feedback do you have for me? 
um, you're not going to get very much. And to the listeners, I'm shaking my head no as I'm saying that. If you scowl when they start to say it, but if they start to say something hesitantly and instead of kind of jumping in and defending why they're wrong, say, yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. This is so helpful. I really want to understand this. Then inevitably you're going to hear eight more things that uh, that you could do better. And so I think, again, our initial response and how appreciative we are and willing to hear it, we'll be getting more and more and more feedback, priming them what to look for. And again, linking it to, it's not about, it's not about for you, it's for someone else can be helpful. And the other way that you can sometimes, uh, don't tell my residents this, but you know, kind of trick them into telling you what you could do better or worse is if you ask them, you know, what are some of the pet peeves, don't name names, um, that some of that, you know, others have done on rounds that you really want to make sure that don't happen on us. Inevitably, they're going to slip a few things in there that you're doing. Or what are some of your favorite things you've seen attendings do that you would love for us to do in clinic today or while we're on service this month? And they'll tell you some things and you can either be like, oh yeah, I do do that or no, I've never done that one. So A, you can get some great ideas on what others are doing well. You can get great insights about what the residents don't like and then sort of be like, oh, I think was that me? It might have been me. Um, and and kind of get some information there. So there's some very direct and indirect ways, I think, to get input on how we can continue to get better. And then I think once we sort of set it up that we really are eager and that we want to grow so we can be better for them, that they're going to give it to us. But I, I feel, Yalia, that it, it can be tough as the PD to feel like, especially when they say nice things. Those are the ones you, are you just saying that because I'm your program director? Or is there anything I actually did or said today that helped you? Um, I think those are the hardest. I think the constructive ones are the things to make us better. Um, you know, if we get them talking, get them a drink or so, they'll, they'll share. Paul, do you think we need to get take-home points or is there more stuff that you wanted to delve into? Um, let me yeah, ask the, one more question and then let's get to take-home points. I, I, early career faculty in particular, I feel like all faculty, and maybe this is institution-specific, are just kind of adrift um, and without any kind of feedback on performance, I think from their own supervisors a lot of the time. So I, I guess given that is such a common concern, I'm wondering if you might be able to provide any advice for how really faculty at any level might be able to help develop and grow their teaching skills um, independently as well. So how, how can we become better teachers in the absence of constructive feedback sometimes? And let's start with Aaliyah since she's nodding most and then we'll with Abby too. <laughs> Tend to gesticulate a lot. So... <laughs> um... Thanks, Paul. Uh, so there are a couple of thoughts that I were think- I was thinking about as you were mentioning that. So f- especially for our junior faculty, it can be so challenging. And so having a, f- a division that's invested in their faculty development can be very helpful so that they can actually try to grow uh, either through internal uh, faculty development talks that have to do with becoming better teachers, finding resources at their institution. At Penn State, we're lucky we have a whole center for health professions education. So they're like you can actually get a seasoned educator to come watch you on rounds and give you feedback. So there are resources you can tap into, attend co- workshops or conferences um, that are put up either by through in within their institution or even go to regional or national conferences where they can do faculty development on improving their their, uh, teaching skills. Like, for example, SHM has a whole um, educators kind of academy where they can learn uh, skills to be better educators. SGIM has teach. So again, more um, opportunities for them to get involved um, through national organizations where they can actually get focused development in terms of faculty, um, in terms of faculty development as on being a better educator. The other piece that I'll add to this is that there's also a lot of discussion now about developing competencies for educators themselves. And so actually having um, 
faculty be evaluated in terms of similar, like similar to mile, like in a behavioral way, similar to what milestones are for our residents. And so actually giving faculty some feedback on their faculty evaluation forms that may show where they are in terms of the behaviors, but to be, uh, to get to the next level as an educator, what behaviors they may need to achieve. And so that kind of framework can be incredibly powerful for faculty, especially in the beginning of their career as they're developing themselves and even for more seasoned faculty so that they can have much more concrete, um, actionable items on which they can work. Great. Thank you. Abby, any other resources that you can think of? I love the list that, that Alia gave, uh, again, all the national opportunities as well as your local ones. I think also some of the best ways to learn to get better at giving feedback are to get really good at receiving feedback. And so the more feedback you seek and the more you ask questions to better understand it, the more you kind of really get your head around, well, what would that look like? If I were doing that, what would you see? If I were doing that, what would others see? The better and better and better we get at receiving the feedback, then we start to gain the insights about how best to give it. Uh, I do think that um, that certainly practice, you know, practice, 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 and then let your learners and your faculty and your colleagues know, this is a goal of mine. Tell me how I could be doing this better. You know, if I made you feel great, but you don't actually know what you can do to be better or get to the next level, then I failed you. If I gave you really specific concrete feedback and you know exactly what to do to get to the next level and yet you're leaving feeling terrible, I probably also failed you. And so, you know, the same way that sometimes or if you're working on educator portfolios or things and you, um, you know, start handing out your own, um, you know, feedback list after you give a talk to get your own evaluation, you can do the same for feedback, you know, give someone feedback and then have them fill out. Did I ask you first, you know, what you thought? Did we discuss it? Did you feel like I cared? Do you feel like you own the plan? Um, or even again, have that discussion with the resident right after, after the feedback. And they say, oh, thanks so much. You know, I had a great time working with you. Um, thanks for the feedback. And you say, okay, my turn. Um, how is the feedback? What are you taking from this? What are you going to try? How will you know if it worked? In the end, if our learners can take something from the discussion and do something and be better, that's how we know we gave good feedback. Again, we could have a wonderful conversation, but if at the end they just leave and it was a wonderful conversation, then we failed also. And so if they can say, here's what I'm going to take, here's what I'm actually going to do, here's how we'll know if it will work, you say, great, send me an email in two weeks or a month or whatever, and let me know when you tried this and if it worked, man, do they feel like you're invested and they want to try that out even more. So again, with back to the motivational interviewing, you know, give them the hook, make them feel excited to try this and that you can't wait to hear about them succeeding. And again, then they know your intent once more was not to show superiority or what you know or can do. It's about helping them get there. And if you're pumped and you want to hear back about when they get there, it's golden. So, Abby, can I ask you a question? I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> I just no, no, I'm curious because sometimes I hear from junior faculty that they're worried about giving any type of difficult feedback because they're worried about their own promotions or promotions portfolios and that their evaluations from learners are going to be very much impacting if whether or not they can successfully go up for promotions. So how do you give, how do you help them overcome that, that concern? So that's a great question. And in fact, I think a couple of years ago, uh, Dr. Hombo, Eric Hombo, you know, who I feel like is an, another grandfather of feedback and evaluation and assessment up there with Jack Ende, I asked him that exact same question uh, because there's so much fear, I think, probably at institutions everywhere of if I tell this resident what I really think, they're going to get mad, put it in my eval, and then either I won't get promoted or I'll get called in or they have their horror story where they were the first one who cared enough to give the resident feedback. The resident 
president didn't like it, slammed them in an aval. They got called in by their chair, and now they're never going to give a residence feedback again. It's easier just to give them all threes or fours or whatever it is. So I think that that is an age-old question. Uh, and I think in some ways it goes back to the altruism uh, and the, the passion and the why of being an educator and that our goal should be to, um, you know, to help them improve, not to be liked, not to, you know, get promoted, not to feel good about ourselves or feel comfortable, but to really care enough to help others improve. And I think if we genuinely do, then the majority will be like that. And will there be someone that they didn't like what we said, uh, or they took it personally, and, and they, they, they get us. Um, yeah, there will be, and, and those hurt. Um, and I think sometimes we ourselves will amplify and turn those ones even louder to make sure they hurt enough um, and go back and read them if we're having too good of a day, et cetera. Um, <laughs> but I think when you keep a, keep a folder of the, of the good ones and you start to see that largely uh, people do not only appreciate the feedback, but you actually see them getting better and you see someone who struggled and was so upset and never liked your feedback and now they're rocking it as a third year when they really struggled as an intern and you were the one who cared enough to be uncomfortable and give them that hard feedback versus all the people who just, you know, said nice things but didn't help them. I think that alone is going to show and you'll get your promotion. I will say from experience, whenever I've had to give, I'm a warrior, whenever I've had to give really difficult feedback for someone who I felt was in trouble or having big problems, I go to someone more senior than me or a peer mentor like Paul or somebody, uh, maybe someone outside the institution that I'm working in. And I, I tell them what's going on. I ask them for advice. And, and so then I'm going in there with a plan. I've rehearsed it a little bit with somebody else. And it seems to help a little bit. I, I still, I'm sure I've still made some enemies, but I, I tried to give feedback that I felt had to be given, but it, I, I did enlist more senior people who had more experience than me uh, so if people are listening, like I'm afraid I have to give someone feedback, I would, I would offer them that solution as well. Matt, I actually love that. And maybe two years ago, I had to give a resident probably the hardest feedback I've ever had to give any resident literally my entire life. And I called my um, former program director in tears saying, I need a pep talk. Actually, I texted it because I was crying. I couldn't talk. <laughs> I texted. I said, I need a pep talk. Here's what I'm about to do. I need you to talk me through it. And the wonderful, loving Judy Tung got the text and she just started talking and she ended it with, she knew that I had one minute before this resident was arriving. That resident is so lucky that if they have to hear this feedback, that it's coming from you. <laughs> and that was the most empowering, right. like, I was like, yeah, you know, it was like when someone, when I was a new mom and someone told me no one will know how to be that baby's mommy like you will. You're the only one who's going to know how to be their mom. And I'm like, yeah, it's only me. It was like the same thing that, that Judy gave me in that moment saying they're so lucky that they're going to hear this feedback. They have to hear that feedback that it's coming from you. And that was such a check of like, I care. I know this is right. And it was like, it gave me, it was like, it was like a breath. She gave me the breath I needed to do it. So I love that you brought that up. You never get too old to get advice and mentorship on how to have if it's a really crucial conversation. So thank you for bringing up that point. Can I, and I'm sorry to do this. This will be a marathon episode. I just want, I want to raise one more point that I feel like we all know explicitly, but I just want to actually make sure that we said it out loud. But how, I think that some of the most catastrophic situations I've seen are the conflict avoidant among us, which I count myself. This is not a judgment. So rather than addressing any particularly critical feedback sort of at the point of care or sort of immediately after the rotation, you just kind of sit on it or maybe put it in an evaluation and then it kind of gets to the, 
the learners sort of after the fact, after you've after, long after the rotation's gone, and they're sort of they've had no chance to address it or respond to it or have a meaningful conversation about it. And I just I'm not sure what point I'm making here, but I just wanted to say out loud, it's probably really important to actually give feedback that can be responded to and dealt with and done at the point of care and not remotely because it's just, it's even more hurtful and kind of, um, I think, less effective if it's just sort of happening remotely via some evaluation that you're reading online as opposed to having a meaningful conversation. And I've just, I've seen that go south so many times. So I just want to at least raise that point out loud too, if I could. And it's a great point. And the book Radical Candor is almost entirely about that. It starts out with a story where someone was underperforming and they just liked him so much, no one would tell him. And ultimately he got fired because no one actually cared enough to say, here's the feedback that would help him do better. And, you know, that was the first thing he said when he was released from the job was, why didn't anybody ever tell me? And so what we think in the moment feels better for both of us by avoiding, we're actually hurting people and we're not in the business of hurting people. So I think that's a great point. And huge plug for Radical Candor, a great book to really help improve the skills, too. All right. This is a phenomenal discussion. I, I feel like we should bring it to a close, even though we could talk about this for the rest of the night. So, Abby, starting with you, if you could just kind of give us some of your major take-home points for our listeners as to how to, to best give effective feedback. Sure. Well, first take home point, I appreciate the opportunity to even have this discussion. I think feedback is so important. And the fact that curbsiders would put this, you know, into discussion and call this out as something as important to internal medicine as the other incredible topics that you cover is meaningful and is going to show all of your readers and learners and educators how important the topic of feedback is, uh, both giving and receiving. So take home point is this is so critically important. And the fact that you gave it airtime, I think really speaks to that. So I appreciate it. Uh, second, I would say, again, when you're coming from curiosity and not from judgment, the feedback is going to be more impactful and directly asking yourself that question may help you decide if it's time. You know, we talked about finding the right time to give feedback. There's a great checklist actually from Dare Greatly from Brene Brown that also is around, are you ready to give feedback? And sometimes I will look at that. And if you still have some anger or judgment or frustration, you're not ready to give it. And so asking yourself if you're ready to give judge give feedback and are you coming from curiosity, not judgment? Um, do you care enough to help others improve because feedback can be uncomfortable for you or the receiver and so caring enough to do that um, and then caring less about being liked which is more about our vanity and more about helping others I think is the ultimate goal uh, and, and after this I hope that uh, that you will share feedback where if you were to do this uh, episode again um, for your favorite uh, listeners, what uh, what points do you wish uh, would have happened or uh, what, what feedback you have for us? I certainly hope you'll share it. Alia. <laughs> um, first of all, I learned so much from this episode. So thank you guys. And thank you, Abby, for all of your wisdom. Um, I, I think the most important thing to remember is, again, like your intent, like, why are you doing this? And again, it goes back to that, that importance of like, you care about the learner and you want them to be better and you're trying to... Uh, help them achieve that next step, whatever it is for them. And I do want to help people who might be struggling to, to figure out their voice or who they want to be as an educator or how they want to actually um, develop their own style of providing feedback. And if especially if they're trying to give feedback, that can be difficult. Remember that we do have frameworks for providing feedback. So use the ADAPT model. Remember that our residents um, have to achieve certain competencies. Remember that our students might, you might want to use a rhyme framework, something that's a little bit more based in behavior so that the, 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 learner doesn't feel like they're being judged as a person. And so that can be very empowering. And again, 
reach out and practice, especially <laughs> reach out to your mentors, just like Matt and Abby have said. If you're going to be give, doing a difficult um, feedback session, practice, get a pep talk, do whatever you need to help get you really prepared to give that because I, everyone knows that you want to do it and you know you want to do it from a good place. And so I think that as long as you 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 are coming from it with that culture of caring, I think that the learner is going to see that. All right. Beautifully said. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. Delicioso. Get your show notes at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast and sign up for our mailing list at thecurbsiders.com forward slash knowledge food to get our weekly show notes in your inbox. That's right, Paul, because we're committed to providing you with high value practice changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or contact us at thecurbsiders at gmail.com. Special thanks to our producer for this episode, the one and only Dr. Paul Nelson Williams I. And to our social media team, Beth Garbs Garbatelli on Twitter, Maddie Mad Dog Morgan on Instagram, and Chris the Chew Man Chew on Facebook. Until next time, I've been Stuart Kent Brigham. Good night. And I've been Dr. Matthew Frank Watto. And we would be remiss in not thanking the great Dr. Stuart Brigham for composing our theme music, as well as thanking Claire Morgan of Notterly for editing our audio. And as always, our main Dr. Paul Nelson-Williams, thank you and goodbye. And thanks to our partner, VCU Health Continuing Education, who's helping us offer free CE credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals. Check out curbsiders.vcuhealth.org for more information.